Yes, everybody, it is me, Matt Wright, coming to you actually live this week on Muddied Waters Media. Welcome to The Writer's Block. Thank you all so much for spending a Thursday evening with me because, as we all know, there are a ton of things that you could be doing on a Thursday evening, and I am truly honored that you would choose to spend them here with me. Uh, Again, thank you all so much. Uh, First and foremost, allow me to thank the wonderful, the fantastic, the brilliant Justin for the kava I am drinking on today's episode. Uh, Thank you very much, Justin, to you and to all of the people watching. I say, Bula Vinaka. Thank you so much to... um, to the Narcissist Cookbook for allowing me to use his music at the beginning and the end of every single episode of the Writer's Block. Uh, if you want to check him out, you can find him on all of your favorite uh, music streaming apps. And uh, yeah, check him out. He's got a lot of good stuff. I'm a huge fan and he's a super nice guy. Uh, so be sure to look up the Narcissist Cookbook. Now, before I get to my guest, and I've tried to have a show with this guest like four times in a row, um, four weeks in a row. And because I was having so many issues, we never were able to make it work. But now, finally, everything is working, or at least it was right before the show. And if we get this one off without a hitch, it'll be the first time in so long that Muddied Waters Media puts out a show without an audio issue that I will be so ecstatic. Uh, But I'm excited to have him on. But before we get there, let's pay some bills. First and foremost... Mudwater. Oops, I forgot to resize these things. Uh, Mudwater, 
I don't even know what I'm resizing right now, and it's not that. Uh, Mudwater is the official coffee alternative of Muddied Waters Media. Uh, if you wake up in the morning and you say, hey, you know what? I hate myself because I drink too much coffee. Uh, you and I probably aren't that close of friends because I drink way too much coffee. But if you're one of those people and you say, you know what? I want, I want something that has less caffeine and tastes worse. Well, I've got something for you. I've got mud water. It's a coffee alternative made with masala chai, cacao, mushrooms, turmeric, sea salt, cinnamon, and that is it. And that tastes exactly how you think. That combination of one, two, three, four, six of those six ingredients is going to taste. Uh, it tastes like a wet foot. So add honey. Just add honey to it. Trust me, it is worth it to add the honey. Spring the extra bucks, get local honey, and you can help fight off allergies. Uh, mud water. If you want to make the switch today, head on over to muddiedwatersoffreedom.com slash mud, and you too can be one of the many people jumping off the coffee bandwagon. The Gravy King. The Libertarian Party Waffle House Caucus, the fastest growing waffle related caucus in the entire universe and uh, the second largest caucus in the Libertarian Party, except we aren't really a caucus because we don't do anything. We do. Uh, we share memes. It started out as a as a group to share donkey pictures and waffle pictures and somehow evolved into the Waffle House Caucus. So. If you want to become a member of the Waffle House Caucus, just head on over to Facebook, search Waffle House Libertarian Party Waffle House Caucus, and uh, sign up. And that that's all you have to do. If you want to become a voting member, which makes absolutely no sense because we don't vote, head on over to the store where you can buy a Libertarian Party Waffle House Caucus shirt and or button. Joe Soloski. Joe Soloski is running for governor of Pennsylvania, uh, and... He is a true liberty-minded individual who is running for governor. Uh, out of all of the candidates that I know of running for governor in Pennsylvania, he is the one that I would pick. So if you live in the Pennsylvania region of these United States and you want to make Pennsylvania mightier than the sword of tyranny, uh, vote for Joe Soloski. He is the key to Pennsylvania's success. Now, no matter where you are, on the internet, whether you are on YouTube, whether you are on Facebook, Twitter, float, wherever else this is streaming. I don't even know all the streaming sites anymore. Uh, all you need to do that I am asking you to do, how you can help us out the most is hit the like button, the thumbs up button, the heart butt react, whatever it is on whatever social media site you are looking at right now, hit that button and then hit the share. Just share this out. Let everybody in the world know about muddied waters media let everybody in the world know about my guest let everybody know that there are alternatives out there for them they are not going to be stuck with uh just the r's and the d's for the rest of their life uh so and after you do that after you do that head on over to anchor.fm slash muddied waters and hit the subscribe button and for the low low price of two caffeinated beverages from an overpriced coffee shop a month you too could become one of the muddied militia one of the i'm not saying that one uh one of the muddied militia muddied musketeers muddied whatever we're calling them these days uh and be and 
get uh, all sorts of cool stuff. You get uh, discounts at the store. You get discounts at Stitches and Glitches and Defy the Power. You get discounts um, on so many other things. You get access to short films that I have written. Uh, you get access to other things that I have worked on. You get access to exclusive Spike speeches. Uh, so much, like You just get so much stuff that I can't even go into all of it right now. So head on over to anchor.fm slash muddiedwaters slash subscribe and become a member today. So now allow me to finally bring on and thank I, I am forever grateful that he has been so patient while I've been trying to make all of this work. Um, but allow me to finally bring on the two-term chair of the Libertarian uh, National Committee, Mr. Bill Redpath. Matt. Ooh, look at good that. Good to be with you. Finally, finally. Finally, we're doing this, huh? finally. I totally forgot to change your name on here, though, and you are not Andrew Heaton, <laughs> so we're just going to do that really quick. I am in some countries, I'll tell you that. Yeah. <laughs> so before we get into everything, you and I actually have a weird connection. Um, you first ran for the House of Representatives in Northern Virginia uh, against a man named Frank Wolf. Mm -hmm. That's right. When I was a young, bright-eyed, chipper young buck uh, who had hope for this world, uh, I gave a speech, uh, and Frank Wolf was the undercard speaker. I was, I was the, I was the uh, headline speaker of this event. And... When I walked up there, I'm 17 years old and I'm probably about the same height, but I'm skinnier and like, I'm skinnier and I look probably 14. And I went up there and I gave the speech making all of these adults just cackle with laughter. But I opened the speech by saying, I'd like to thank my undercard speaker, Congressman Wolf. Don't worry, sir. One day you'll reach my ranks. And he died laughing. So after the speech was over and we'd done everything, he came up to me and he said, you know, and I don't know how old he was at the time, because in my mind, Frank Wolf, from the time that I knew who Frank Wolf was up until the time that uh, he passed away, I believe, right? No, no, I, uh, I'm pretty sure, he, I'm pretty sure he's still alive. Yeah. Oh. Well, I was pretty certain he was about 80 when I met him. So, and oh, that was, <laughs> but I just assumed he was, and he came up to me and he said, you know, I don't ever want to lose my seat, but if I do, I want it to be to you. And I said, thank you, sir. I appreciate that. I hope I never have to take your seat from you. And uh, then um, that was it. And then I called him one time when I got arrested and I said, hey, can you get me out of this? He, he never said that to me, having me taking his uh, place in the U.S. House of Representatives. I, that, Not, that is unique <laughs> to you. That is something that, yeah, I don't think he said that to many people. Yeah. I think yeah he was in there for 34, 34 years, I think. I think he was right. elected in 1980, and then he did not run for re-election in 2014. Okay. Yeah, uh, so this was like in 97, 96, 97? Okay. 96 yeah somewhere around there and uh he and i that was when i was still very young and very uh stuck in my uh 
my GOP ways that had been inundated on me since I was a young child. So I was very much a conservative Republican and he was like, yeah, you should definitely take my seat. And I was like, thanks. I appreciate that. <laughs> so um, let's, let's actually start there. Uh, what year did you, what year did you run for uh, Congress against Frank? That wasn't my first year, first time running for office. That was actually okay. in 93. But when I ran for uh, U.S. House of Representatives for the first time, which was against Frank Wolf, it was 2010. Okay. So first time you ran was 1993. Was that still in Virginia or was that before Virginia? That was in Virginia. Yeah, I okay. lived in Virginia from 80, 85 to 2019, but that was for Virginia House of Delegates. Okay. And then uh, after that, in 98, I ran in a special election for Virginia Senate. I was a libertarian candidate for governor in 2001 in Virginia, which was quite an experience. Uh, then U.S. Senate in 2008. Uh, and I can <clears throat> really pick the years <laughs> to run for to run for office. Uh, but uh, uh, and then U.S. House in 2010 and 2014. Then I moved to Illinois in 2019. I was a candidate for U.S. House of Representatives in Illinois in 2020. And now I am the U.S. Senate nominee for the Libertarian Party in Illinois in 2022. And and that is really the real reason we are bringing you on today is because we want to talk about that. But you have one of the most storied careers for for somebody in the Libertarian Party, which is some of this stuff is absolutely amazing. You've been the two term chair of the Libertarian of Libertarian National. You've been a three time treasurer for the LNC. Uh, you've been on the LNC for 21 plus years. Does that, Have you held an office or have you just been a member? Well, I was an officer when I was chair or treasurer. Uh, I was, uh, I don't think I've ever been a regional rep. All the other times, uh, I think I was elected as an at-large representative uh, to the national committee. It was in two segments. Uh, four years from Labor Day 89 to Labor Day 93. And then I had about a 17 year run from 2003 to uh, 2020. That, yeah, and that is absolutely unbelievable. Um, and you've been an eight time candidate for public office, which we're going to go over Great. that a little bit. <laughs> we're going to go over that a little bit in a little bit. Um, but one of the things that you are massively well known for. Uh, and one of the things that every single person um, absolutely sings your praises about, and I have to give you all of the credit in the world for it, uh, is how great you are with LP ballot access. Well, thanks. It's um, it's a passion of mine, and uh, I, uh, I I just it's so important. I mean, to be a political party you've got to get on the ballot, or at least to be a visible political party. And it's just something that uh, I have, pers I'm personally good at, if I may say myself, I'm, I'm, I'm a good petitioner. Uh, and um, I, I, but it's, it's so important to, to uh, get on the ballot. And I think, you know, the, the Libertarian Party, we're not the R's and D's, you know, I, I can't really say we're a major party in the, in the United States, but clearly, we're we're the number one minor party in the United States, and and that means something. I mean, it 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 doesn't lead to a lot of high level um, elected offices, but if you look at the vote totals, I mean, you look at Joe Jorgensen and Spike Cohen and their vote totals in uh, in 2020, and I think they got 81 percent more 
than all of the other other candidates combined. Right. That is, you take the Green Party and the Constitution Party and this party and that party, the Working Families Party, you add all of their vote totals for president up. And uh, Jorgensen and Cohen got 81% uh, more than all of their votes combined. And then you look at U.S. Senate, uh, US, U.S. House, and then the offices where we are elected at the local level, you add it all up and the it's really the longevity you know they talk about minor parties it's been said that minor parties are are like bees i think they sting and die but that's not the case with the libertarian party and the reason is is that we are an ideological political party you know where we don't latch on to uh, a ross perot who's here for an election or two and then and then retires from politics and the reform party quickly fades away uh, we're, we're not, we're not, you know, we're certainly not tied to Donald Trump, that's for sure. Uh, and, uh, and, and it, it's, it's, it's good. That's the reason that the Libertarian Party lasts as long, uh, has lasted as long as it has over 50 years, and it's going to last a, a, a long time into the future. Um, and, and it's, it's, it's really because of the, uh, the fact that we are wedded to ideas and not personalities. So let me ask you a question. This is something that people have asked me multiple times in the past, and uh, I don't honestly have a good answer for them. So I'd like to get your thought on it. Um, you've been with the party. When did you join the Libertarian Party? April 30, 1984, okay. uh, according to LPHQ. Okay. Uh, so longer than me. Um, but uh, so in your time... In your time with the Libertarian Party, you've seen a number of Libertarian candidates. Um, obviously, just going backwards, you had Joe Jorgensen, Spike Cohen, you had um, Johnson Weld, you had J Johnson Gray, you had uh, Bill Barr. I don't remember Bill Barr's VP. I don't, uh, Bob Barr. Bob, so Bob, Bob Barr. Wayne Allen Root. Yes, and Wayne Allen Root. Um, and then... Um, Oh, I am blanking on that guy's name that ran in 2096. Uh, get, oh, you mean 2004, Michael Badnarik. My, okay. Who, Michael Badnarik was the presidential nominee in 2004. In 2000, that's right. Yeah, I've, I'd skip that one. Um, and then 2000 was... Um, uh, Harry Brown in Harry Brown in, in, in 96. Right. So we have seen where you've had... Republican governors come over and run, uh, Republican governors or Republican uh, senators come over and run as libertarians. And then we've seen homegrown libertarians run. Which one do you think is better? Well, I, I do think that there is something to be said for uh, uh, disaffected Republican politicians who are interested in the Libertarian Party. I think it's a good thing for the Libertarian Party that that Republicans who are dissatisfied with the Republican Party, and there are no doubt a lot of them, uh, and I think there are going to be more going forward, but I think it is a positive thing for the Libertarian Party that they are interested in us. If, if we didn't have ballot access, if we didn't have uh, the, 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 the depth and the breadth of the um, uh, the, the 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 political will that we show and and uh, and the motivation that we show constantly uh, they they wouldn't be interested in us so I think that's a good thing I'm not I'm certainly uh, uh, oh, certainly I'm perfectly okay with people who've been in the Libertarian Party a long time but the problem is we 
because of the our election system and ballot access laws, it's tough to develop a, a bench, so to speak, to right. accede to the, the presidential nomination. It that just we you know we we only have had one libertarian congressman, uh, libertarian party congressman in our entire history. That was Justin Amash. He was not elected as a libertarian. He became a libertarian during his last term. So the fact that that it it uh, that our election system and ballot access laws make it so difficult to elect people to state legislatures and the U.S. Congress, um, it 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 makes it tougher to develop people who will be seen by the public. You know, we we can't just look upon, we can't just look inwardly in evaluating candidates. I think we have to make a judgment as to how the uh, general public, including non-libertarians and small L libertarians are, are going to view our candidates. And that has to be considered, I think, in our nomination processes. And yeah, and I would agree. Well, back when um, Gary Johnson ran in 12 and then again in 16, that was one of the things that a lot of people were bringing up was, you know, mm -hmm. why, are, why are we going with another Republican? Uh, why can't we put in a libertarian? Because uh, Bob Barr, Bob Barr left a sour taste in a lot of libertarians' mouths. Um, and I voted for Bob Barr. He was the first libertarian that I voted for. Um, and because I looked at I looked at Obama and I was like, I don't I don't want this guy. And then I grew up in a very conservative household that my entire life I have been told John McCain was terrible and he was they're like he's just a democrat pretend like that he was the first person i heard referred to as a rhino um and they're like he's terrible he needs to be out of office and then he wins the uh nomination in 2008 and everybody was like well we gotta vote for john mccain he's gonna be the future he's what we need and i was like this is the guy that Eight years ago, you were saying he's terrible. He needs to leave the party. He may as well just be a Democrat. And now you're saying we need to vote for him. But you said that you would never vote for him. So I'm going to look at this other guy. And I started looking in the bar and I said, I like some of these ideas and I hate these other two. So I'm going to vote this way. Um, yeah. But no, I, I, don't... I think Bob, I'm, I'm sorry. Go, no, go please right go ahead. Yeah. But what no, I, I think, I think people sometimes don't recognize the, the, the sacrifices that that people potentially do make <clears throat> do make and potentially make and do make to come over to the libertarian party from a major party i mean there's going to be uh, uh ostracism involved in 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 or with a lot of those people that they're going to experience uh, you know i think bob barr was a changed man from who he was previously i mean i i i came to like like bob barr I, <clears throat> as a candidate and personally in in 2008 and i uh, i think he i i at one time i didn't care much at all for the bob Barr that uh, the person he was you know maybe eight to ten years earlier but i do think he 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 was a changed individual and as a part of that he decided to seek the libertarian party nomination so i uh i i i think that that um it, it's a sacrifice to to be a candidate at any level for the libertarian party but particularly people who who came up in the tradition and in, in the in the two-party tradition of this nation, which I don't care for at all. That's why I'm involved in the LP. I'm really involved in the LP, not just because I'm a libertarian, uh, but I'm also totally disgusted with the two-party system. It, it needs to change. People deserve more effective choices at the ballot box. 
Uh, and, and I think there's there's a book published a couple of years ago by Lee Drutman called the, the Two-Party Doom Loop. And I think that that is absolutely the case in this nation. It, it's uh, I'm involved in the LP uh, to, uh, to, to, to bring about uh, political change in this nation that really goes beyond just libertarianism. And uh, that is one of the goals that uh, I know many of the people watching and many of the people who are going to be listening to this on Anchor.fm or their favorite podcasting app later, uh, are they feel the same way. Uh, we didn't get in, most of us did not get into the Libertarian Party thinking it was going to be an easy ride. We got into the Libertarian Party because we saw the two-party system. We see the corruption. We see everything that's wrong with it. And we sit there and we go, we need to change this. And we need to change this. And there's this party that just wants us to be free. It just wants us to be able to live our lives without having to deal with the government oversight on every little thing that we do. Uh, that's not going to take 30% of our income. That's not going to put all these burdensome regulations on us. So that way, when we try to um, start a business or, you know, whatever, uh, we're going to be held back. Uh, you know, I don't need to have a license to braid hair, you know, and they see that and then they go, okay, we know this is going to be a difficult road. This is not going to be easy. However, I believe in this and this is what I'm going to do. I still think there are a handful of people that join up in the Libertarian Party because they think I can be a big fish in this small pond. Um, but I think those people mainly will filter themselves out and swim back to the Republicans or the Democrats. Yeah, I, um, <clears throat> I, I'm LP through and through. I mean, it's it's I, like I said, I I think that some of those people maybe don't object. They're attracted to us. Um, for certain reasons, but at the end of the day, they're comfortable enough and accepting enough of the two-party system that they're willing to go back. With me, if I were to say, okay, I'm done with the Libertarian Party, I'm going with the Republican Party, uh, I, I, one of the reasons I, I don't do that, aside from all of the uh, incredible flaws of the Republican Party that are, are, that are obvious, uh, it, it, it would it would be me implying or saying essentially that the two-party system is okay when I don't think it is. Right. So I'm I, I'm not going to surrender and just throw my lot in with the lesser of two evils. I gave up on that whole concept about 40 years ago. Right. And that was one of the things when I first switched over to the Libertarian Party, because uh, I, I was originally a non-affiliate. I was a non-affiliated party. Or I, don't remember, I don't remember how they have it. Not what, did, did you party was this i mean in terms of party registration yeah you, you were an independent independent or unaffiliated something like that yeah in florida they have a weird thing in 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 tennessee i was unaffiliated in florida it was uh no party affiliate mpa no party affiliation i had to okay. think about what because i the nap kept falling in my head and i was mixing those okay. letters up um yeah, but it. yeah don't want to have dyslexia with that situation going on. Right. <laughs> uh, but yeah, so I was no party affiliate. And when I switched over to be a libertarian, I was saying, you know, we need to make this third party stronger because we want more people to join. And uh, they, a lot of people were saying, you, can, you can't do that. You're not going to be able to bring them up. You have to change a party from the inside. And my response always was, I've seen people attempt to do it. They just become part of the party and part of the problem. 
they don't ever make any real change in the party. Um, and outside of like your outliers, like your Ron Paul, he made some change and Rand is kind of trying Thomas Massey's doing okay. But outside of those people, you don't really see it so much so that Justin Amash left, uh, Justin Amash left to, uh, become a member of the libertarian party. So I think that focusing on growing the libertarian party is the quickest way to reach, uh, to get liberty in, in America, in our lifetimes. Well, I, I agree with that. And I would also say that to make the Libertarian Party more effective, I think we need to support uh, electoral reform in this nation. That is, uh, you know, uh, things like uh, rank choice voting. Uh, and uh, yes. I, I know some people, I know some people like approval voting, and I think approval voting is certainly better than the plurality voting we have. I don't think it's going to be widely adopted. It, it, it's uh, generally a, a in, in our society, but ranked choice voting is making great strides, but we really need to go beyond that into some form of proportional representation for legislatures. Uh, that would make uh, libertarian party candidates uh, far more electable than what they have historically been. Ranked choice voting is, a, is, is certainly a step in the right direction toward that I don't think that that we will see a lot of electoral victories just through ranked choice voting. But if we had some, if we had multi-member districts for state legislatures and for the U.S. House of Representatives, uh, and and uh, with, with with like I said, multi-member districts uh, and and using ranked choice voting for that, we would see libertarian candidates on a widespread basis. I think being elected to the U.S. House and to state legislatures. Yeah, I would I would have to agree. Uh, what Brian Brian Lambrecht, who you know and I know really well, um, he yes. just put something in the comments. What did you run for in 2020? U.S. House of Representatives in the sixth congressional district here in Illinois. Which, okay. uh, uh, yeah, in 2020, that's that's what it was. Really, I mean, it was one of the few good things that happened due to COVID because. That came about, Illinois has horrible ballot access laws, and you can read about how horrible they are at my uh, uh, website, uh, redpathforussenate.com. And, uh, uh, but in, in any event, uh, usually in my congressional district, it would take 16,000 signatures. Well, in 2020, it would have taken 16,000 signatures <clears throat> to get on the ballot for U.S. House of Representatives, and that's absolutely ridiculous. In Virginia, it's 1,000 valid signatures to get on the ballot for U.S. House of Representatives. Uh, but it, they're, uh, the Libertarian Party and the Green Party, due to the shelter-in-place order uh, issued here in Illinois back in 2020 as a re overreaction to COVID, right. uh, it basically, <laughs> just made it, basically made it illegal to go out and petition. It, it was my understanding. And uh, so uh, the Libertarian Party and Green Party sued the state of Illinois uh, and um, uh, several of our candidates were put on the ballot automatically. Uh, any any candidate, any any office for which we were on or the Green Party were on in 2018 or 2016, we were put automatically on the ballot with no signatures in 2020. Everybody else, which included me, their signature uh, requirement got cut to 10% of normal. So 16,000 became 1,600. That was doable. And I thought, with uh, if I'm ever <laughs> going to get on the ballot, for U.S. House of Representatives in Illinois, I better do it now. Yeah, this is and this is the year. 
this is the it's now or never right. uh, for U.S. House of Representatives, barring uh, some sort of change to the ballot access laws in this state. And so I and Brian Lambrick and a mutual friend of ours, Preston Nelson, who ran in an adjacent congressional district, uh, worked hard and a few and other people as well. But the bulk of it was the three of us got the signatures I needed to to get on the ballot. But then there's this horrific challenge process in Illinois. I turned in 3,100 signatures for 1,600 valid, and I had more than enough. But I, uh, I think there were um, Republican operatives who uh, tried to use this challenge process to to kick me off the ballot, and I persevered. It was it was it was kind of ridiculous, frankly, the whole effort they went through. But and and they 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 took it to court. They I can't tell you what all they did. But um, eventually I persevered and, and made the ballot. So what what brought my attention to uh, your race in 2020 was that the bass player for Nirvana, Chris uh, Nov- Novoselic, Chris Novoselic. Nov- is that how you no- say that? Novoselic. I've, I've Novoselic. Only, I have only read that on the back of my CD covers. I had no okay. idea how to say it. Novoselic. Novoselic. Uh he, in, he, he endorsed you in 2020. Yes, yes. I served on the board um, of Fair Vote, uh, which is an electoral reform organization. And I talk about the Libertarian Party and electoral reform that I think is necessary to make us more viable in the electoral process in the United States. But I met Chris um, uh, back, I can't remember what he was chair for. Was it nine years or 11 years? Something like that. So I met him about, uh, no, wait a minute. It's even, uh, I'm, I'm thinking here. It was, it was probably more like 15 years ago. Uh, but um, at first, uh, I have to say, at, at first, I, I, I didn't really uh, recognize uh, his importance uh, in the history of music. Uh, but, uh, and, and, uh, but I came to know him, but, uh, he, you know, he, he is a, he's a tremendous fellow. You would never know really. I mean, the way he comports himself, um, he's, uh, very friendly and, uh, 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 humble and a great guy to know. And, um, and, but I served on the board of fair vote with him for about a decade and a half, I think. And uh, he's no longer on the board. I'm no longer on the board, but we still are in touch. And uh, he donated to my campaign in uh, in 2020 and endorsed me. And um, I really appreciate it. No, that's that that's amazing. Um, I I grew up loving Nirvana, and uh, no, that when I saw that come across the feed, I said, "Wait, what?" No, uh, <laughs> yeah. that would be like my dad seeing that. Uh, Paul McCartney endorsed somebody. He'd be like, "Wait, what?" Yeah, um, yeah. Well, you know, it's interesting. Paul McCartney um, w- worked with or um, played with Nirvana a few years ago. You know, they won a Grammy. Uh, Cut me some slack was the best record of the year for the Grammys, but that goes back about. Uh, God, that, uh, was... that was about six or seven years ago, maybe yeah, something some... like that. Yeah, that was yeah, yeah. But uh, we actually had to postpone a fair vote board meeting. Uh, because uh, Chris couldn't make it because he had to be at the Grammys in LA that week. But I guess, I guess it's a good reason to postpone a board meeting. <laughs> your, your, your chair's going to win a Grammy with Paul McCartney. That's not a bad reason to postpone a board meeting, I guess. Right. So let's talk about, let's talk about your Senate race a little bit. You are currently running for Senate in the state of Illinois. Um, famous for wanting freedoms. Actually, from what I understand about Illinois, is that outside of Chicago, 
it's not as authoritarian as everybody makes it out to be. I could be wrong. I I, I suppose that's so. I mean, certainly uh, uh, there's, you know, it's, it's a lot of states have these schisms, including the one I moved from, Virginia. Right. Um, that's why I left. You know, George Allen went, pardon? That's why I left. Okay. I mean, it's it's like in Virginia, Fairfax County has about one eighth of the population of the entire state. Right. And there are people who, in fact, George Allen, when he was a U.S. senator, I think got into trouble, frankly, uh, because, you know, uh, he said, this isn't when he got in trouble over, but it sort of started where he said, well, welcome to the real Virginia downstate, <laughs> downstate somewhere. Yes. And so there, I think he was in this, Richmond uh, when he did that. It was, it was, a. I, I'm not sure it was in Richmond, but it was, I think it was Southwestern Virginia, more rural Virginia. Oh, okay. And, and so, uh, but, but every state, well, not every state, but a lot of states have this, you know, urban area uh, versus rural area uh, schism. And, uh, but it, it is, I think, particularly intense in Illinois, uh, where there are various moves afoot to uh, basically break Illinois up into at least two states. Uh, I, I don't really think that, uh, at least in the foreseeable future, that movement has political legs. But uh, Illinois is, uh, I, I don't know about the authoritarianism. I mean, the, 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 taxes are, the taxes are high, basically, all over the state. Right. Uh, and, uh, and I think higher, certainly, higher, certainly in Chicago than, than any place else. But Chicago, or, I mean, Illinois is, um, it's hurting economically. I mean, the population is falling. Uh, that uh, I think 87 out of 102 counties suffered a population loss from 2010 to 2020. Then I just read, I think, where 81 of the 102 counties lost population from 2020 to 2021. And there is a uh, exodus from this state that is uh frankly, if anything, occurring worse outside the Chicago area than it is in the Chicago area. And, um, and, and it, it, it doesn't seem to have any end in sight. And so what was the, uh, what was the genesis for you deciding to run for Senate this year in Illinois? Was, was it the taxes? Was it the lockdowns? Was it, was it none of the above? Was it just sort of the fact that you've that you've kind of always had the passion for liberty and you want to get the message out there? Or was there an impetus this time? I at first was going to uh, run for governor, but uh, we had a candidate for governor who only wanted to run for governor, and that's Scott Schluter. And he and John Phillips, who's currently on the LNC, form a ticket. And it is a ticket, unlike in Virginia, where and some other states where governor and lieutenant governor is not a ticket. It is right. a ticket here. And so, uh, and we, frankly, we had a shortage of candidates this year, and I wanted, we ultimately put together a full slate uh, of uh, seven candidates, including uh, uh, U.S. Senate and the governor ticket, so that's three. We have Secretary of State, uh, Attorney General, uh, Treasurer, and Comptroller. So basically, we needed candidates. I was able and willing to do it, and so that's that's why I did it. I mean, I thought, I, I want... I want the Libertarian Party to show up in as many elections as possible, up and down the ticket, both for offices that we uh, don't stand a great chance of winning and offices that we do stand a great chance of winning. Uh, I think it's important to show up with Libertarian candidates wherever possible. 
Uh, yeah, absolutely. I think that uh, running candidates and for the Libertarian Party, running candidates in every race available is exceptionally important. Um, I under I understand a lot of people. A lot of people, especially those joining the party, kind of get that they get that rush right around election season, and it's like we have a chance to win. Uh, the presidency. And I'm like, no, you don't, you, you really don't. Um, that's just not going to happen. You're not going to win a state yet, but maybe one day soon. Um, but they also, they'll get it for governor. They'll get it for attorney general. They'll get it for Lieutenant governor, whatever. Um, but the importance of running the president, the governor, all, the, all of those is because you're trying to get the, the city councils, the mayors, the, uh, county commissioners, those people elected as well. And we're seeing that growth, which is great across the nation. More and more libertarians are being elected nationwide. And it is amazing to see that growth from the party at the local level, because that's where it has to start because you have to prove right. you can do it locally. And then people will start getting elected to your state senates or your state houses or whatever, however you have it designed in your state. Um, all the way up to to the Senate and to the House. And I just gonna jump out here on a limb here and say that I really hope that uh you are the first libertarian elected to the Senate. Uh big big fan of that well, idea. I would be able and willing to serve. Although <laughs> going back to Washington, DC, where I you know lived in the DC metro area for 34 years. But believe me, I there is absolutely no doubt. I would absolutely be willing to serve in the U.S. Senate for at least six years. No question and, about it. And you would know your way around the metro. It hasn't changed all that much. That's right. Yeah, exactly. Damn. If it's still running by the time you get back there. But, <laughs> you know, I mean, I, exactly. But it, it's, well, there are two reasons. I mean, first of all, uh, it, there's winning the election, but a big win for us would be just getting 5% for governor or one of the other statewide offices that would lead us, that would give us ballot access in future elections with having to do greatly reduced petitioning. Yes. So that would be again. Uh, but even even though a lot of these offices, frankly, aren't winnable for Libertarian Party candidates, our record proves that I'd certainly like them to be. But it's important that we speak out on the great issues of the day. I mean, I'm all for running for lower level offices and, and trying to win those offices. But the farther you go down in government, the more managerial government becomes by necessity. I mean, it, it you know, it's who's going to pick up the roadkill and, and a lot of other things that are, are important issues to people's everyday quality of life. But at the same time, you don't have the opportunity to speak out on the great issues of the day, uh, which uh, uh, I think libertarians should do. That's, that's really uh, a big part of the reason for the existence of the Libertarian Party is to speak out, speak truth to power, so to speak, uh, because really, I mean, the, the other political, minor political parties aren't in great shape relative to us. And there are certain things that if, if they're going to happen in, in, like I said, speaking truth to power to the Republicans and the Democrats, only the Libertarian Party is going to do it. And so um, th that's, that, that's important as well, as well as winning elections at lower level. And I think I think a lot of times people look at candidates at, at the higher level races and they say, I like that candidate. I'm, you know, they're afraid of you know, the whole wasted vote syndrome. Right. They're afraid to vote for that candidate, but then they'll vote libertarian down ticket. 
so to speak. And I, I, uh, I don't mean to besmirch the importance of those offices, but we'll call it that. That's generally what they're called. But I think right. there is an effect of, 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 of candidates for lower level offices getting votes uh, if, if people like the libertarian candidates who are running for the, uh, the higher level offices. So we, we have a question from uh, the audience. Uh, I'm not even going to attempt this guy's last name. His first name is Alex, though. Uh, Alexander. He says, what are Bill's top three issues? Now, I don't know if he's wondering if uh, like libertarian issues like ballot access would be what he's referring to or if he's talking more on the federal level. But just give me your top three issues overall and what you would be pushing for the most uh, should you be elected. Well, I, I would say, first of all, overall government spending, uh, that government has to, uh, there is so much in the federal government that can be done away with, including the Department of Education, the Department of Housing and Urban Development. Uh, I, uh, uh, there on my website, I have a list of, uh, of, of uh, it's actually from Chris Edwards at the Cato Institute of government uh, spending that can be reduced. Uh, and it, it, it goes uh, over $1 trillion per year, uh, and then including the defense budget at 800 some billion dollars now being proposed by the Biden administration. That's way too great. So overall, uh, reducing government spending. Certainly, entitlements have to be addressed. I support the Cato Institute 6.2% plan for Social Security. I think it's the best plan to, to get us from here to there in terms excuse me, in terms of, of Social Security reform. The most important thing is to allow younger people to be able to take their 6.2% FICA contribution and invest it in private accounts uh, that are inheritable, uh, that, that uh, is not allowed under the current system. The dirty secret of Social Security, frankly, is that there are no personal property rights in Social Security, and that particularly hurts the poor and minorities uh, who tend to live shorter lives uh, and then don't receive Social Security and don't have something then that they can pass on to their heirs. Obviously, Medicare has to be addressed in terms of uh, changing the system uh, and, and I think giving dollars to patients as opposed to directly paying for services. That's really, I mean, it, it, it's really a crying shame that, that the Medicare entitlement situation is not in, uh, talked about more. We're only four years away from the Medicare trust fund, quote unquote, uh, becoming exhausted, after which uh, right now it would look like payments to medical providers would be cut by 9%, uh, which is uh, not going to go over well uh, in, in the medical community, that's, that's for sure. Mm -hmm. um, and... Uh, uh, and I would say, uh, you know, the, the social issues as well. There, there's an old, um, there's an old saying, uh, so old that nobody says, nobody uses it anymore. That people join the Libertarian Party because of of two issues, not the same two issues, their two issues. And with me, it was Social Security and the drug war. I really joined the Libertarian Party because I, I knew Social Security was a horrible uh, system for young people, and also the drug war. Uh, was uh, being fueled back in the early 80s by Ronald Reagan and the Republican Party. And he wanted to throw uh, people I knew in jail, which I thought was a travesty. And that's when I said, forget it, can't do this two-party thing, can't do the Republican Party, forget it, I'm done, and, and all that. So uh, certainly the, uh, the, the drug war uh, is, is, is a huge issue as well, and, and other uh, social issues that um, where we, we, we need to maximize, uh, have freedoms that, that uh, uh, historically have not been granted to the American people. 
Um, I absolutely agree with all of that. The drug war is one of the big issues that I have. Uh, I am seven and a half years sober now. Uh, haven't had a drop of alcohol in that long and haven't had uh, any narcotics in not quite that long. Uh, but... Uh, <laughs> But it's one of it's one of those things where even though I don't do it, and it's because I know that I can't contain my I can't control myself. I will continue going, and I will uh, end up right back where I was. If smoking cigarettes is a good way that I describe this, I haven't had a cigarette in eleven years. But anybody who watches this show regularly knows how often I vape. Uh, if I were to smoke a cigarette. I know that in a week's time, I'd be up to a pack a day or more. Uh, if I were to open a beer uh, and drink it, I know within a week's time to two weeks' time, I'd be back up to a case plus a day. Um, but because I can't handle it doesn't mean that other people shouldn't be allowed to do it. Uh, and that's the same thing that I, the same issues that I've had with other things in my life with, you know, uh, with weed, with cocaine, with other things that I'm not willing to admit that I've done on the air. Um, and it's stuff that I know that if I were to ever do it again, I would be right back where I was and that's not where I want to be. But that doesn't mean other people shouldn't be allowed to do those things. So, yeah, it, drug... it, it... please. I'm sorry. No, no I was, was just kidding. Gonna... I mean, all that as, as, as a criminal act is absolutely insane. Absolutely. Harry Brown, God bless him. He would always refer to it. And I, I think of Harry Brown frequently because I, I frequently call uh, the war on drugs the insane war on drugs, which is always what Harry Brown called it. And I absolutely salute him and remember him and love him for doing that because he's, he's calling it as it is right there. That's for sure. <clears throat> and excuse me. And one other th issue, frankly, is, uh, is tax reform. Uh, I support the, uh, unfortunately in the foreseeable future, we're going to have to have some level of taxation. Uh, I think the best way to go is through the hall Rabushka flat tax. We need people. We need as a society to encourage people to work, save and invest. That's what yes. we need to do as a part of the tax code. Stop the social engineering, uh, and 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 we we want to collect uh, the 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 taxes that are. We unfortunately have to collect the taxes that are necessary to run a minimal, much smaller government than than what we currently have. But but I do think it's important to uh, not tax capital gains. This plan, I mean, it's just the first thing government should do is make sure a catastrophe doesn't happen. That's the number one. That, that's what the they're supposed to do. One, that's the number one uh, duty of, of people elected to public office is to make sure a catastrophe doesn't happen and, and to reject bad ideas among them. Uh, just about everything that comes out of the Biden administration with respect to economics is a bad idea. Yes. But this idea of taxing uh, un, uh, unrealized capital gains is is crazy. And I have worked since 1985 doing business valuation work in media and telecommunications. And it is just amazing. And, and, and the, the, the doing valuation work can be uh, difficult. Of course, it's subjective. I mean, everybody's got an opinion and, and, and a lot of people, you know, they either, depending on the situation, they want a high value or a low value, but there's a lot of work. It, it is amazing that, that, that members of Congress never stop to think, what is the administrative cost of, of 
my legislation or my ideas going to be? Aside from the, the actual taxation, how difficult is it going to be? How expensive, how complicated is it going to be to administer this tax? And that seems to never enter Elizabeth Warren's mind uh, or anyone in uh, in the Biden administration right now. And it's I, amazing. I appreciate the fact that you think Elizabeth Warren or anybody in the Biden administration has a mind that <laughs> well, it could enter. Well, they, they obviously do. They're constantly baking, baking up bad ideas. <laughs> well, I, yeah, that's why I don't think they really have a mind. I think they're just going to like, let's just throw this out and see what sticks. Uh, we so, got a couple of questions from people in the audience. Um Tony Mackin, one of our wonderful subscribers, uh, she wanted to know uh, what your opinion on term limits are for people in the Senate and the House. Uh, I am of two minds of this. I see both sides of this argument. So where, where are your thoughts on this? I, uh, I would support term limits. I think that it's not the real issue. I, I, I don't think it's as good as going to a system with uh, 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 multi-member districts, uh, whereby uh, we, we get many more people running. I mean, right now, we have such an uncompetitive democracy, particularly in Illinois, just to give you an example, uh, 2014. Well, I'll go, let's go to Virginia first, which okay. you uh, hail from. I mean, there in, in within the past, uh, at this point, I want to say in, within the past 10 or 15 years, uh, in the Virginia House of Delegates, you have 100 single member districts for the Virginia House of Delegates. Right. In the recent past, within the past 10 to 15 years, there was one year where 62 of the 100 seats had only one candidate on the ballot, and another year, 63 out of 100 seats had only one candidate on the ballot. Not one challenger, one candidate. And the thing is, is that this is never talked about in the media. They'll say, oh, well, there's a hot, you know, House of Delegates race in District 37 in Northern Virginia. And they'll talk about the few races, the very few races where there is actually an interesting election going on, but then totally ignore the bigger story of, of, of uh, almost a supermajority of the legislature, the House of Delegates just walking back in. Here in Illinois in 2014, 19 of the 59 seats of the Illinois Senate were up for election that year, 12 of the 19 seats had only one candidate on the ballot, and the other seven had two candidates on the ballot. Of course, R's and D's in those seven, no minor party candidates who couldn't make it due to the horrendous ballot access laws. Right, because you needed 16,000 so signatures. Uh, yeah, and, and so, it, it's, so I would say this, that if you had multi-member districts and reasonable ballot access laws that, that didn't keep everybody except the R's and D's off the ballot, you'd have more candidates running, people would have more effective choices, you'd have more ideas being discussed during election season for people to consider. And I think that is a far more effective electoral reform than term limits would be. Okay. And uh, Alex uh, had a question and asked if you would be, I think I know the answer to this question, uh, would you be in favor of abolishing the DEA? Yeah. I, mean, it, <laughs> I was it, like, I, I feel like this is a no-brainer. Yeah, I think that, no, I think that they ought to, we ought to end the federal war on drugs, just like the feds ended prohibition with the uh, uh, passing of what was it, the 21st Amendment? I think it was 18 and 21. 18 was bad, 21 was good. 
I think. Right. I think. Uh, but yeah, and I think so. There was a, there's a chain. There was, and I think still is a chain of liquor stores in Indianapolis called Twenty First Amendment Liquors. So that has to be that has to be repeal of prohibition. That can't be the institution. Yeah, that would that wouldn't be the first that one. Would be, that would be a marketing mistake by them, I guess. But uh, in any event, um, but I think we ought to tr let the states address the issues as to what they think is is uh, appropriate. And that's the importance of federalism. That's the importance of allowing, you know, it's the old phrase, uh, 50 laboratories of democracy. But that's the, that's the good thing about uh, mankind advances through trial and error. And that's what can happen with the states in this nation if the federal government allows them to do it. So, um, and yes, absolutely. Like, get rid of the DEA. We don't need it. Let the states decide. Like, let Florida figure out which ones they want to allow here and let them have their own enforcement agency for the ones they don't allow here. Um, and yeah. then let the people of Florida fight it there. You don't have to worry about the people of Oregon fighting for legalization of everything, uh, fighting for legalization of everything here in Florida. Here in Florida, you can worry about fighting for the legalization of the things that need, that we believe should be legal. I think it should be everything, but I know that's an uphill battle right now. Um, yeah. Well, no, I think, I, I think that, I think the dividing line as to what is illegal or illegal ought to be the pharmacological nature of the drug. And if there is a drug that by its very nature, say, causes people to be violent, uh, then, then that drug should be prohibited. Uh, but but otherwise, uh, and I really don't know of any drug that causes that, uh, you know, uh, that, 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 that would cause people sort of by definition uh, to to uh, behave that way. We, we certainly can't have people, you know, taking a certain drug and then chopping up half the neighborhood, you know, something so, like I that. Mean, but other than that, it, it, it's uh, it, it seems to me that that everything should be legal unless unless a drug causes that. So even even in that case, my, my thought is every drug should be legal and taking the drug shouldn't be illegal. But if you are on the drug, whatever you do on the drug, you are criminally liable for. So if oh, you, for sure, yeah. if you go out, I don't think and people get mad at me about this a lot. I don't think that drinking and driving should be illegal. Um, I think that 0.08 is a ridiculous number uh, and that. It's called fundraising. Um, but if you were to crash into somebody's house, crash into somebody's car, kill people, you should be punished as though you that you committed homicide or you know that you did property damage. You should be convicted for that. The drinking and driving, not so much. If you're uh, on cocaine, well, we'll say cocaine. If you're on cocaine and or heroin, will be better for this. I'll make slightly more sense. If you're a heroin addict and then you go and you steal a bunch of stuff from somebody. You shouldn't be punished for the heroin. You should be punished for the stealing of stuff because you're actually right. taking stuff of other people's. Um, right. That That's my personal opinion. So even if there's a drug out there that causes you to be violent, um, it is up to you to take the drug. So the drug may not be illegal, but if you do something violent on it, you're going to get punished to the greatest extent for doing it. Right. Well, yeah, you can't use the excuse, oh, the drugs made me do it. You took the drugs. Right. I, I, I will say that, you know, driving under the influence uh, should be uh, illegal, but I do think it's arguable uh, what is the proper uh, uh, level, say, of, of blood content, alcohol content in blood 
uh, that I, I agree that 0.08 and, and, and it was 0.1. Yeah. Uh, and I, and, and, and there's a movement to make it 0.05 going on in the United States, make it 0.05. Exactly. Yeah. I think Utah, maybe Utah has adopted that. And I find that, you know, I, that, I think, that seems to be, uh, I think, uh, I think, I think DC has a zero tolerance policy. So if you blow a 0.01, you're getting a DUI. Um, I, I did not know that. I, uh, I, th- I but, think uh, that's, th- I think that, so, and I could be completely wrong that that's a real thing uh, because the person that I know that I heard this from was telling me about somebody else and that guy's an aggressive, arrogant, what's the right word for this on the air? Um, a-hole I don't know. is the, is, is the okay. best thing I can come up with. Uh, and I could see him being upset about being pulled over and then the cop being like, okay, well, if you're coming at me like this, I'm just going to arrest you because you're just being right. this way. Um, but from what I understand, yeah, DC is a zero tolerance. So if you have, he had, from the story that I heard, and I never researched any of this because I didn't care that much. Um, if you have like a glass of wine, two hours later, you could still get a DUI. That that's, strikes me as completely ridiculous. And and moreover, I think people, it, it, it's the way individuals react to it or sort of their, their mental state or their mindset when they drive. I mean, people react to liquor in, in, in different ways. Yeah. Uh, but, uh, but I think that, that I, I, what I'd like to know is have any state legislators actually, you know, they could take them to a track somewhere off the street and and have have any state legislature legislators actually tried drinking to certain levels and then get in the car and actually seen what it's like? I, I I'm not aware of that, and I think they ought to do that. Frankly, before th- those who are not teetotalers uh, ought to go do that and and actually experience this themselves, different levels of uh, uh, alcohol content in the blood before they begin passing legislation that is going to criminalize people when i was in um when i was in tennessee that was when i was that might have been when i was drinking the most i was living in nashville um but i got to know a lot of cops really well uh because they all came into one of the restaurants i worked at and one of them told me because he would always see me and i was always drinking on my shift off my shift i was always drinking and he was he said we're running a uh, new program where uh, if you come in, if you come in on a day off um, with a couple of your friends, we will pay for you all to get drunk at the station. And then we want to see how you would do in field sobriety tests and stuff like that. And then we'll pay you really? for your time. And I went, so you're going to buy our alcohol and then pay us for our time. And we just have to get field training and how to get through a field sobriety test and he said yes and i went yeah we are in we are all in we i can get like six people right now and so we did and it was a good time well i i find that story hard to believe because i didn't think anybody in nashville drank (laughs) (laughs) i i don't think anybody in nashville doesn't drink oh okay all right well (laughs) (laughs) From my experience there, everybody drinks in Nashville. Um, so okay, if you say so. <laughs> so, 
So before I let before I let you go, uh, first of all, I want to say this has been fantastic. I loved having you on, but um, on I want to allow you the chance to announce uh, that there is an event on April 18th. Uh, can you tell us about it? Yes, there's going to be a uh, Bill Redpath for U.S. Senate fundraiser. It's actually going to be called Revenue for Redpath. And at, at you know, at Jesse, Jesse Unruh, which uh, I'm dating myself here, uh, I think he was a Republican operative in California years ago. He's now deceased, but he he's the person who said money is the mother's milk of politics. That uh, is uh, saying is attributed to him. And uh, uh, he's he's unfortunately right about that. It takes it takes money to run a political campaign. It's absolutely true. But we're going to have a uh, uh, a, a is it is Monday, April 18th. And I'm not sure exactly how people can access this. I, I, I'm not to the best of my knowledge. No, to the best okay. of my knowledge, it will be streamed live here at Muddied Waters Media. Um, okay, and we will be sharing it out from there. Um, okay, I know this is this is the information I have on this event is that it is a fundraiser, the Revenue for Red Path. I'm very excited about it. It's April 18th. It's going to be starting at eight o'clock Eastern. I believe um, that's correct. Eight and, Eastern time that evening. Yep, and it's going to be hosted by yours truly and the 2020 Libertarian Party vice presidential candidate nominee, vice presidential nominee Spike Cohen. We will be hosting this event. Um, I understand that there's going to be a ton of guests. Uh, I don't have a list of anybody that's going to be there yet. So, can you tell us a little bit about who's going to be there and what? Uh, yeah. I call it. I have not. Well, I hope Brian Lambrick isn't listening now because I've 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 called. I know a, he was uh, in the comments uh, earlier. I, I have an idea. All right, this is. I've, I'm just springing this. I'm just springing this idea uh, to call this the the roster of guests a murderer's row of guests who won't violate the nap. Man, right? I'm a and, I'm a Red Sox <laughs> fan and Yankees. Uh, <laughs> Yankees references don't fly over well, but I'm going to oh, accept it because it's your events. <laughs> All right. I'm sorry. I, I didn't know you were a Red Sox fan. Uh, at least, I mean, uh, many of the people watching aren't going to know Murderer's Row. Well, Murderer's Row. from the 1920s, right? Uh, the 20s or 30s. 20s think, or 30s. Yeah, yeah, it was like in the 20s or 30s. But the New York Yankees had a such a fearsome lineup batting that they called the their their lineup the murderers, murderers row. row that was uh yeah, so babe ruth and mickey mantle and um babe ruth not mickey mantle back then mickey mantle was at the end of it no wasn't he at the end of it oh, i don't think he was a part of it at all he was way too young for that i think it was babe ruth lou gehrig lou, um, oh i was thinking lou gehrig i don't know why i said mantle okay uh, <laughs> it was yeah. and and a whole bunch of other guys I should be able to tell you off the top of my head, but due to a brain freeze, I can't. I get it. But in any event, but but a a a, uh, a murderer's row of guests who will not violate the non-aggression principle. Uh, presidential candidate 2020 Joe Jorgensen, she's going to be on. Uh, former national chair Mark Hinkle. You talk about people who go back. I joined in 1984. I'm a youngin compared to Mark Hinkle. Uh, uh, he goes back almost to the get-go back in the 1970s. Uh, Mary Ruert will be on. Uh, Jim Turney will be on. Uh, uh, Laura Epke will be on. Uh, the, uh, the former uh, Nebraska legislator turned LP uh, member. 
Uh, my fiance, the beloved Julie Fox will be on from Illinois. A whole bunch of Illinois people. Jim Lark, my oldest friend probably in the Libertarian Party, met Jim in 1986 at a Marshall Fritz Advocates for Government uh, seminar in Bethesda, Maryland. Uh, going back, going, boy, it's going back. And, and uh, Lex Green, uh, who's uh, my webmaster. And um, anyway, so that's, that's the, and, and more to come. I'm, I'm, uh, I'm still casting, I'm still casting a, a uh, uh, my, my uh, fly, fishing fly, whatchamacallit, and uh, <laughs> I'm, I, 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 you know, I'm, I, I may nab a few more people here um get get them voluntarily or not involved in this right <laughs> you're you're casting the net but the net's just gotten much smaller now well, you're, and you're, of course brian lambrecht will be there needless yes. to say and uh uh and and a lot of fellow uh illinois libertarians as as well so we're Excellent. we're um we're still looking for um uh people to 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 be a part of this uh and we're looking forward to it. I yeah, I'm I've been looking forward to it since uh, Brian brought it to us. I'm very excited to do it. And uh, Thank, you know, thanks to you and Spike for doing it. No, absolutely, it, it is our pleasure. Uh, it is yeah. absolutely our pleasure. Um, so, but if if people have the urge to give before then, of course, it, if they have the I, urge, it's okay to wait until the 18th. Uh, but uh, my website is redpathforussenate.com. I was just going up to grab the grab the link so I could oh, okay. put that Red in there. Is, um, is 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 where to go for all sorts of good stuff. So everybody out there, uh, go to redpathforussenate.com, redpathforussenate.com. A lot of people in the comments are saying have Larry Sharp. Um, so if you want to reach out to him, if you want to have him on, it's up to you. Um, oh, that's, that's, uh, yeah, 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 of course. Yes. As a matter of fact, I was with the, uh, that, that might be feasible. Okay. Well, see, look, <laughs> there you go. Don't have uh, them lined up, but, but in, inspiration like that is, is, is something that will not be ignored. Right. Uh, so there you go, Joe and Alex, he said he was going to look into it. Um, thank you all. So uh, thank you, Bill, for being on. Everybody go to redpathforussenate.com. Give to Bill. Let's get him into the Senate. We need somebody like him in the Senate badly. Um, and then tune in on April 18th live right here on Muddied Waters Media where you will uh, be able to watch Spike and myself host a night that's going to be very much like the Libertarian Oscars except it's online so i doubt anybody's getting punched in the face over a joke but if somebody does i guarantee it's me um (laughs) um bill thank you so much uh for coming on do you want to pitch anything else before you go i the floor is yours whatever you want to say i would just say this if there's anything else right now i just want to pitch uh, libertarian party and ballot access uh the the libertarian national committee and ballot access lp.org slash ballot access we've got a petition drive in alabama i went down did a week of volunteer petitioning down there six calendar days to be exact at 588 sigs back in uh january that's almost done we have petition drives coming up in new york uh and uh, uh illinois of course and massachusetts and uh, we really, we, 
right now, we really need funds to make uh, ballot access uh, the greatest success uh, it can be in 2022. So lp.org slash ballot access. If you have some spare dollars to give toward that, believe me, it will be used uh, to put libertarians on the ballot and hopefully into elected office. Beautiful. And if anybody knows about this, it is you. Uh, you are a champion when it comes to ballot access. Uh, again, everybody in, I, everybody that I have ever talked to in the Libertarian Party that is involved in ballot access in any way, shape, or form recognizes you as one of the foremost authorities in how to get it done. Um, and to that, I say thank you. Um Bill, thank you again so much for coming on. We wish you all the luck in your campaign. We here at Muddied Waters are supporting you, and we are looking forward to the 18th unbelievably, just unbelievably. Um, I am we, Yeah, we are definitely looking forward to it. If you need anything, please do not hesitate to reach out. We will always be here for you. Um, thank you, Matt. No problem. Uh, Joe, Joe Hanush uh, wants to know, how do I get people to sign my petitions? I, I'm going to give him this one last question because it's a good one, actually. I'm sorry. The, the question is how... How do I get people... The... How to get people to sign my petitions? Well, here's my pitch. I mean, it, it, it's whatever works. As long as you are not misrepresenting anything, whatever works to get the signatures... Um, my pitch, if I'm if I'm out there, say when I was down in Alabama in uh, in uh, January, some somebody would walk up and I'd say, "Excuse me, sir or ma'am, uh, could you sign a petition to allow the Libertarian Party to return to the ballot in Alabama?" It's not an endorsement. It's not saying you'll vote for us, but we need the signatures of over fifty-one thousand registered voters in the state just to get on the ballot and give people a choice. Now, I and could you sign our petition, please? And that's it. Now, that some people think that's a little wordy and a little too much information. So whatever works. Some people just say, I'm trying to get a friend on the ballot uh, and, um, and, and give a much simpler message. But I, I, I'm not afraid to say Libertarian Party. I always say Libertarian Party in my pitch. Uh, I don't think it's a negative. I think it's a, it's a positive to let people know about the Libertarian Party. And I also like to communicate in the pitch the difficulty, when I say we need 51,000 signatures in Alabama to, to get on the ballot, it's 25,000 in Illinois, it may be fewer signatures for your particular race. But I would just say when it comes to getting signatures, just let them know it's not an endorsement. And it's, you know, it's not saying that they're not committing to vote for you. This is just to give people a choice at the ballot box. And, uh, and, and it's in, and my pitch is kind of educational as well, because I like to tell people things, try to tell people things they didn't previously know. And particularly when I can convey the difficulty of the ballot access laws in this nation, people more often than not are, are shocked. They have no idea that it's so difficult to get on the ballot in a nation that is ostensibly the beacon of democracy for the rest of the world. So that's what I would say, but I was <clears throat> it, it, it just comes down to your personal style. I was once petitioning for Ron Paul back in uh, Massachusetts in 1988, <clears throat> and I was uh, in front of a grocery store, <clears throat> excuse me, and there was another petitioner there, and his pitch was, 
there's one of these trash cans sitting outside with the top. You know, those trash cans that have a top, but there's a near the top, there's a hole in the side right, the... that you put that you stick the trash in and you drop it. But above that, there is a top. And those make lovely desks, by the way, those kind of trash cans. And and you, he set the petition, set the clipboard right on top of that thing. People would be push their grocery cart out of the grocery store. And he would stand there and say to the person as they approached, he would say, hey, have you signed this? And and that was his pitch, basically, was that he would ask you <laughs> to say to people, he said, hey, have you signed this? And and it worked for him. It did. I was totally astounded. And and so it it ultimately it it it's whatever works for you to get the signature without misrepresenting anything is what's right for you. Beautiful. Thank you so much. I look forward to seeing you on the 18th. If you need absolutely look forward all, to it. Yeah, if you need anything okay. at all, please reach out. Thank you so much. Will do. All right. Thanks, Matt. Take All right, everybody. Thank you so much for tuning in. How great was that? How great is Bill? Uh, I I have talked to him numerous times as we have been uh, attempting to make this show work, and I am uh, elated that we have finally gotten a chance to to, to make it work and that I got him on uh, because he is a fountain of information, and he is uh, just an amazing person all around. Uh, be sure if you want to help out red path for us senate.com, uh, you can go, you can donate there. Um, or on April 18th live right here on muddied waters, me, spike Cohen, bill Redpath, a bunch of other people that he named that I can't remember off the top of my head because I didn't write them down, um, are all going to be here. And we are going to have just a great, night we are going to have so much fun so be sure to tune in for that um again thank you all so much for tuning in uh i humbled every time uh but that's basically it tomorrow we have two two episodes of mr america the bearded truth with jason lyon he's going to be kicking the day off at 2 p.m eastern with super fan sarah Andereg. um that would be the love of my life and my fiance my future bride uh will be on with him at 2 p.m eastern and then at 6 eastern he has mr libertarian in chief himself todd hagopian is going to be on um is going to be on so be sure to tune in tomorrow for that. Then I know Spike is in uh, Texas. I think he's in Dallas. I don't know. It's hard to keep up with his schedule, but I think he's in Dallas. Then next Tuesday, tune back in right here at Muddied Waters Media, where Spike Cohen and myself will be parsing through the week's events, like the sweet summer something or others that we are. Um, it does not look like there is an episode of my fellow Americans next week. I could be wrong, but if there isn't one, you have Wednesday off. And then next Thursday is the muddied zoom, uh, where all of our subscribers get to join together on a zoom call with me, Spike, maybe Jason, uh, maybe Jason, maybe the Eskimo Libertarian, maybe others. We we never know who's going to show up to this event, but uh, it's always a good time. If you want to be a part of that event, all you have to do is head on over 
to anchor.fm slash muddiedwaters slash subscribe to become a member today and you will get a notification you will get an email uh next week with the link so you can join that zoom so again thank you all for tuning in before i go your fun fact of the week is david broderick is the only sitting senator to die in a duel uh and this actually occurred because of in-party fighting uh led to broderick being challenged on his anti-slavery values he fired early he fired prematurely and gentlemen we all know what happens when you fire prematurely uh and his opponent shot him in the chest and he died three days later fun fact of the week david broderick only sitting senator to die in a duel thank you all so much for tuning in and remember no matter if you're white, if you're black, if you're Hispanic, if you're skinny, if you're fat, if you're straight, if you're gay, if you're trans, if you're whatever else, at the end of the day, it's night. I am. I am. I am swinging from a seven-story window. Throwing parties in a 10 by 7 cell It's astounding the legs I'll go To convince the whole damn world I don't need anybody's help Yeah, I am waving while I drown Don't bother swimming at it to save me I will only drag you down I'll try to use your body as a life raft Cause if there's room enough for one There must be room enough for two I'll sail the good ship you into the sunset Sipping on savory waters of my liver turns blue. It's a standard, the lengths I'll go To convince the whole damn world I don't need anybody's help